Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Can I come outside yet? No. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 5, which is titled, And Baby Makes 2. The episode aired on October 19th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Okay, this is more than making up for that dead week we had a little while back. The Million Man March takes place on in Washington, D.C. on October 16th. Um, from Wikipedia, the march took place in the context of a larger grassroots movement that set out to win politicians' attention for urban and minority issues through widespread voter registration campaigns. Notable speakers included Louis Farrakhan, Maya Angelou, Rosa Parks, and Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yeah, and doing my research for this week, I honestly thought this was the one from, like, the 60s that shows how much I know about black history, but, like... Yeah, we, we all had a little bit of shame that we got this one mixed up with the Martin Luther King. You'd think something, like, bigger than this would have been, would have been a little bit more memorable, but I don't know. No, this is America. No. Uh, ain't that the goddamn truth? I bet the next one is something you might remember, though. I don't at all. Oh, because it's sports, damn it. All yeah. right, let me undo that one, then. <laughs> The 1995 World Series is set as the Atlanta Braves sweep the Cincinnati Reds four games to zero, and the Cleveland Indians defeat the Seattle Mariners four games to two. Woohoo! Go Braves! I mean, they would go on to win the series. Then yeah, they're they their only World Series, despite being in the playoffs every year in the 90s. Great job! See, guys. the only reason I, the only reason I remember that is because the Indian the Indians played the Cubs when the Cubs won their series, and it was like this big thing of like. Oh, neither of these teams has won in so long, so I'm just assuming the Indians lost this one. Yeah, the Indians always lose. I think the last time they won was sometime in the 40s, I want to say, like 1948, yeah. I think. So anyway, um, and then Seven <laughs> is the number one movie at the box office for the fourth and final week. The movie would go on to make a $327 million on a budget of $33 million. Um, is that and good? And Fantasy. I mean, it's not bad. It's a, it's a <laughs> ten times profit. To ten times uh, revenue. Yes. Trust me, Hollywood numbers would make this be like, oh, this is like this lost us twenty five million dollars. It's an accounting. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, and then Fantasy by Mariah Carey continues its run atop the music charts. All right, and then for this week's episode, we've got thirty five point three million viewers, um, kind of staying in the same neighborhood we've been in since the the premiere. Uh, and this week's episode is directed by Mimi Letter, who we gotten to know quite well over the course of this season and a, a little bit and it was written by another kind of season one heavy hitter uh lydia woodward who also directed uh, or i'm sorry who also wrote uh episode two of season five or <laughs> episode two of season two this is season two episode five brain works fine got it you're, you're just really excited to get to season five yes what maybe i don't sure we'll go with that you're just really happy for, really, really excited for Lucy Knight. That's right. And we open this episode uh, at the bachelor pad of Doug and Mar- with Doug and Mark, uh, and Doug got laid last night. I'm shocked. Right. So you know, good for him. They're chilling on the couch when Doug has bagels for Mark, and Mark is just Mark is just impressed that he can do it all. He can fuck a different woman every night <laughs> and still have bagels on it. Work twelve hours and be a pediatric resident. Yeah, and I couldn't help but notice, too, that Mark just pulls a bagel out of the bag and takes a dry bite out of it like a goddamn serial killer. Like, doesn't slice okay. it, no butter, no cream cheese, just takes okay. a, goes in, like, I bet he doesn't peel his string cheese either. I bet he just, Are we like, gonna, are we gonna have this discussion? Because I eat bagels dry. Oh, 
that's that's uh, that's not okay. How have it how has have I be, never noticed this? Because I usually only do it because the only time I ever get bagels is when I go to the grocery store before work for to get some breakfast, and they don't have cream cheese. So I've just developed. I just have a habit of just eating them without cream cheese. Okay, Oof. you can eat them without cream cheese, but do you prefer them without cream cheese? Depends on the bagel. Go go on. If it's a really, if it's a really, really fucking good bagel, I don't think it needs anything else. Ugh. Like the ones we get from our grocery, the ones I get from the grocery store near me, like are are really, really good by themselves. And I don't think I just, yeah. Trust me, everyone at work when I'm walking around with you know, a bagel hanging out my orders and just with Ugh. a with a bagel hanging out hanging out my mouth, just while I'm messing with my scan gun with nothing on it, people are like, "Are you what? What is wrong with you?" Yes, this that's well, the, that's a bagel. That's the appropriate reaction because that's again serial killer behavior. At least you're not slicing them lengthwise. Oh God, uh, yeah. See that that's the part that bugs me. But but no. yeah, no, you get a nice fruity, you get a nice cinnamon Ugh, bagel, you so get so much nice... chewing. Oh God, you got to cut that sucker yeah. in half. I'm not the biggest fan of cream cheese. Loop it up a like, little bit. The only like really good consistently cream cheese is from Panera. Their yeah. honey walnut stuff. That shit's great because it's like probably has, like 80 grams of sugar in it. But yeah, you you don't do a lot of dairy products except for cheese. Cream and I do, cheese. And for and for the record, Daniel, I do not. I do uh, eat my string cheese like a sane human being. You peel your string cheese. I do. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll thank God for that because slide. on your for your stance on bagels, I award you one gigantic yike. Because, <laughs> damn, that's fucked up. I wear it. I wear it proudly. Thank you. Thank you. We're done here, folks. Good night. <laughs> You're my favorite. Yike. Um, from there, we go on to the admit desk with Jerry offering everybody fresh buttered popcorn. Carol's like, nah, I'm good. I'm watching my triglycerides. Um, Halle is like, oh, by the way, guys, I turfed a slip and fall up to ortho. And she gets a high five. They're all really happy. Lydia is in a magical mood. And we learn that everybody's so light and airy today because it's Carrie's day off. Um, Lydia puts the stereo on, Jerry and Halle do a cute little dance, and we notice in true gross fashion, he is wearing open-toed sandals with no socks in an ER. (laughs) That just, oh, no thank you. We see how much messes go on there. Yeah, maybe just don't wear open-toed shoes. Like, I'm I'm not, like, I think I'd be more offended if he was wearing the sandals with the socks. But Fair. like, just maybe wear regular sneakers there, Jer. But yeah, so they're they're just boogieing down to oh happy day, and we so this this carries off day will be an ongoing thread through the episode. I know this is this is kind of mean, honestly. <laughs> like it's it's so mean. The degree to which they are thrilled she's gone is very, I think, mean. Although we've kind of we we talked about it in the last episode that you know, early Weaver is pretty rude, so I guess it's kind of warranted. We got a good audio clip of it a little bit later. Uh, but then for now, we have uh, some Carter and Harper action going on of the non-sexy variety, unfortunately. But <laughs> what? It just your neighborhood ace over here. Just I'm good. Uh, Carter's continuing his grandstanding about all of the procedures that he's done lately, talking about how Ben's bum finger was the best thing to ever happen to him. And of course, in true Carter fashion, Benton just pulls back the curtain, and Benton is standing right, <laughs> right behind Carter like a serial killer. Um, speaking of serial killer behavior, Daniel, um, and of course Benton proceeds to give him all of the scut work, including a foreign body obstruction. So basically, Carter gets to flash, put a flashlight up someone's ass. Gets to put a flashlight up someone's ass. Take out a flashlight from. Take out a flashlight. It's a very different service <laughs> at a very different hospital. <laughs> 
Oh man, what a residency! <laughs> what? Gosh, what did what did you do at work today? Yeah, my favorite is Benton's. Like, yeah, he says he got it because he fell while he was changing a light bulb. Hoops, naked, naked. Hoops, happens to the best of us kids. <sighs> On the. <laughs> I don't know how to transition out of that, but uh, we yeah, this is a really somber transition. We Good luck. we we switch over to check in with uh, Susan for the first time this episode. We see her uh, in an office, not at the hospital. She's got little Susie with her, um, and we see she's talking to a lawyer about adopting out little Susie to the uh, Hollerins that we saw uh, her making the call to at the end of last episode. The lawyer is kind of going through the process of. You know, giving her what the, the timeline is going to look like, that the formal adoption can't happen until 90 days from the legal definition of the abandonment, um, but that the Hollerins kind of want to speed things up and they would like to take, I guess, take possession or take like they actually they, without like the, the paperwork being done, they want to actually like uh, take little Susie starting at the end of the week instead of in January when the adoption is finalized. And we actually get to meet the Hollerins here and it's super awkward when they come in. Like, you can just tell, like, feel this, like, palpable discomfort, especially from Susan's end. The Hallorans are fine. They seem like nice enough people and everything, but you can just tell that there's a lot of trepidation on on Susan's part with this whole thing. And it leads us right into our second ever, and what I hope becomes a regular, uh, first appearance of the Twinkles. The Twinkles have arrived 28 episodes later. And I did I did happen to notice here that uh, both instances of the Twinkles have involved uh, Susan. The second mm. episode, um, the second episode when we had it, uh, she had just saved that baby that was choking on nearing. So we get we, we we bring it full circle. So we've got the Twinkles now. So it's now what twenty seven to two, I think twenty seven to two is our our official like. Leaderboard at this point, twenty-seven bangs and yes. two twinkles. Because this is episode thirty overall, so yes. So twinkles are back on the board, boys, ladies. I don't know. Oh, that's it's right, fine. Episode one didn't have anything. Yeah, pilot didn't have it. anything. Got it. Also, happy thirtieth episode, guys. Woohoo! Whoa. We're almost a tenth of the way through the series. We, I mean, Whoa. I think. Well, no, three thirty-one is the yeah. So we're, we're said, almost said almost a tenth. We're Thank an eleventh. <laughs> through this year all right queen of pedantic takes woo um we wouldn't have you any other way i know you gotta keep me um but yeah congratulations daniel the twinkles do exist keep the faith hopefully you don't hopefully you don't have to wait 28 more episodes for another set <laughs> it's fine i'm vindicated it doesn't matter everything from here is scrapey we did we did cheer when they came on. We were like, Daniel's going to be stoked. Oh, I texted you immediately when I watched. I was like, yeah. I need I need someone else to know about this because I was watching it by myself like at nine o'clock at night. Like I need someone other than my cat to know that this is this is <laughs> well, Bimmy. Bimmy's a worthy audience. And I think Nurse Jen would have just thought you were insane. Yeah, she wouldn't so. have cared. Yeah, as much as as much as she appreciates <laughs> us, she would not have cared. No. Nope. So, from the celebratory twinkles, we go to Mark is complaining about the pileup of charts. He's like, why isn't this taken care of? What's going on? And Jerry's like, oh, normally that's something Carrie takes care of. And Mark's like, oh, can you do something about this mess, please? And then Doug walks up and he's like, oh, flu season has arrived. Half the board is mine. So, clearly all the kids are getting sick. This is going to come into play a little bit later. And then Benton, he's lost whatever soul he developed earlier (laughs) on because he goes... 
Oh, why do, why do I have to spend time down here? I cannot wait for this finger splint to be gone so I can go back up to surgery. I'm so tired of spending time with patients in the ER. God, I hate doing my job. I hate being a people person. So yeah, Benton's currently soulless. Doug is very busy. And Mark is realizing Carrie is doing him more favors than he thinks by being such a good admin person. And Che Che is back. Uh, this time with a high fever so bad enough that he can't even sit up uh, and was throwing up all day yesterday so they need to do a spinal tap which is no bueno no matter how old you are um especially for a four-year-old so but he does have uh we noticed the elephant that doug brought him in a, in the last episode or it was it? it was the first episode that he was in okay at the very end of it doug um doug and mark go down to the gift shop and pick him up a little stuffed elephant hmm. Yeah, well, he does have that with him, so nice little continuity there. I have a question. Have either of you ever had an LP done? No. No, It has been suggested that I have one multiple times for various various ailments that I've gone to the ER for, but uh, thankfully never had to have one done. Same. The closest thing I had was was when I had the steroid shot for my slip disc. Yes. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, no thanks. No needles in the spine. Thank you. Been there, done that. No thanks, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Things that make you want to go both. So then we go over and check with Carol, who is doing an intake on a kind of elderly migraine patient. Um, She's complaining uh, about the different migraine medications that Carol's suggesting, which Carol is very much like in a take charge role here. Like I feel like she's almost like doing some diagnostic work here, which is sort of Mm -hmm. a gray area beyond what a nurse would do it would be more of like a physician's assistant type of role she's filling here but we don't really have anybody in the cast who's filling that role just yet so i guess this is this is as good of a spot as any for it um so she's kind of suggesting different medications to treat her migraines and the lady is begging off each one of them for different reasons oh i'm allergic to that oh that gives me you know, a rash that gives me chest pains, whatever. Um, and says, Oh, there's this one that starts with a D that they gave me. It's the only one that worked. And she's very right. like, very like leading about it. And Carol's kind of like Ugh, Demerol. So she, she's kind of smoked her out here that she's a, a junkie or a, a drug seeker. And as she's walking away, she's got Harper with her. So she's kind of explaining to Harper in a very much like a senior explaining how things work to a freshman she's like yeah we get these people from time to time and they're blah 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 blah, whatever and this sort of sets up our theme for later in the episode with carol's storyline here that you know she kind of has this attitude towards this type of patient that you know she's seen it all and that she can't be fooled and that's not ultimately going to be true but we'll see how that plays out as we go forward and i would just like to say that Growing up and seeing stuff like this on TV, because this is far from the only time that they use this sort of... This is basically a trope at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing stuff like this all the time honestly has had, like, a sort of profound effect on me. Like, because, like, every time I go to, like, the ER for something pain-related, I'm always super anxious about asking for more pain medication mm-hmm. and I, lauren i'm sure has a good story about you knew right where i was going with this when i when i um so two years ago yeah. two years ago two years ago i herniated my l4 l5 it had been in pain for a while my back my low back and it had just been getting progressively worse i was starting to get drop foot numbness just not great and then one day i was getting out of the tub and it just 
worst pain I've ever felt in my life. We gave it an entire weekend to see if it was just a muscle spasm. It did not get better. Lizzie was nice enough to drive me to the hospital that's two blocks away from... No, it was two blocks when we lived there, right? Or did we live here when it happened? We lived here when it happened. Yeah. So about five blocks away from where we live right now. Took me in in a wheelchair because it hurt so bad to walk. I could barely get in and out of our car. I was in there by myself. They didn't take any imaging. They didn't even touch my back. They just gave me ibuprofen. And I went to a chiropractor for two weeks when she finally, bless her soul, she is the reason that I'm walking today, was like, hey, nothing I'm doing is working. We need to get you imaging. Something is seriously wrong. Go to a wonderful hospital. Thank you, Northwestern. They do imaging immediately. And we found out that, yeah, it was a severe herniation and they were afraid for me to be moving at all because they thought I might do damage to my spinal cord to the mm. um, to the tune of not being able to walk or use lower extremities anymore. Yeah. So when we say we're a little sensitive, <laughs> that, that Lauren and I are a little sensitive about these storylines, that's sort of the basis that we're working from. Like the fact that like, obviously this is a fictional show. But this is a very, very real thing that happens, and especially us living in a big city like Chicago. Right. And we go to we go to urban trauma centers for our for our emergency medicine, and and women are more likely to um, dull down their pain experiences when describing them to other people too. It's been clinically proven. Yeah. So it, it, this whole thing is just it strikes a personal chord, and it just makes me really uncomfortable. And yeah. like anytime. I go to the ER for anything. I'm just like, no, I swear I don't need narcotics. I'm not here to just to scam drugs off you. I swear, I swear, I swear. Whereas, like, I don't actually say that, but like that's the attitude. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> Whereas I didn't even want narcotics. I just wanted answers for them to just go. Oh, you yeah. probably just pulled something and kicked me out. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the attitude towards it in the show is. I'm sure it's it's somewhat rooted in reality of of a lot of medical professionals attitude towards drug seeking because they do see it so frequently um right but it is just such a like disappointing attitude to see play out like it's it's a disease like and it's a disease a lot of times uh, that is a creation of the system like i mean we're not full blown into opioid crisis mode just yet here in 95 but i mean we're definitely heading down that road you know you've got doctors that Mm -hmm. are you know handing out vicodin and percocet prescriptions like candy so you know there's a a systematic issue here that's happening in real time and you're seeing you know these attitudes towards ugh, these drug seekers like they're treated as a nuisance rather than victims and you know that's a disappointing thing to to see but we'll, we'll see kind of different angles on it in this whole episode I was going to say that's another very good point is that yeah and this was when I went for my back issue this was in the peak of the opioid crisis coming to full attention across the country Mm -hmm. so it's no wonder they didn't want to take me seriously because I'm I'm like peak you're the right you're the right age you're the right yeah you're in you're in a city like you're you you check a lot of the boxes 25 urban white collar non super active didn't do anything that would have pulled it like yeah of course they were like no she just wants drugs yeah it's it's frustrating i, I mean it like sucked. i said i feel like a lot of it is rooted in reality because that's the way that's much like the sort of numbness to trauma and to to tragedy you know that's a very real coping mechanism for a lot of medical people but it's also 
it's also like just because it happens a lot and just because it's prevalent doesn't make it healthy or right you know and so i think that's kind of the point i'm getting at here is just like it's i get why they're showing it because it's very real but it doesn't make it any less disappointing it's a few bad apples yeah so from there we have benton against carter's advisement of advisement advice (laughs) secretosity um Benton, against Carter's advice, taking off his finger splint because he's sick of not being able to be in the action. And Carter's like, oh, you know, when I did my orthotics rotation, they really suggested that, you know, like, you leave it on because you could, X, Y, Z could happen. You could lead to further injury, blah, 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 blah. And Benton just ignores him just in time for a domestic abuse trauma to come in. And this is going to be a very important patient for this episode, both for Benton and just for the uh, factor on the whole. Her name is Vicky Mazovic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Benton hurts himself trying to, like, do chest palpitations to feel her heart rate and everything. Has to have Carter come in and do it. And all of a sudden, like, you know, she's been pretty unresponsive, but she starts crying. Not talking or anything, just tears kind of coming down her face. And Halle soothes her and just goes, you know, she's crying. At least that means she's responsive. Mm. And just Halle being big mama bear and trying to take care of her the best she can. So Vicky is going to be a very important patient this episode. And then we switch over to Carol showing Harper what is called the turkey file for the elderly addict patient. And this is where they keep all of the repeat customers and their aliases and any other information. And lo and behold, she's been there, I think, under three names, four different names. Yeah, Yeah, she's been there like half a dozen times. Yeah, so she's she's a pattern. And then staying with Carol, uh, we get her new trainee shows up, uh, E. Ray Bosman, who is a kind of recurring episode, a recurring character throughout the next couple seasons. Mm. Uh, who plays him, Daniel? He is played by Charles Noland, um, who you may recognize from, I definitely recognize him from Wayne's World. Um, oh! Yep, he's the suck cut yes. guy. Suck cut salesman yes. or whatever from the beginning of Wayne's World. Uh, Thank you. Um, yep, he's also in Bubble Boy and Old School, among a few other things. But he appears in, I was surprised to discover this, he is only in 13 episodes um, across the huh. next uh, two two or three seasons. He's on the show between yeah, more. 95 and 97. Yeah, I would have thought he was going to be on um, at least a, f- I mean, if you just asked me, you know, to price is right it, I would have said he would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40. Like, not a, like, hmm. not a long-term character, like five, six seasons worth, but, you know, three seasons at eight or nine episodes a season that that seems like a reasonable amount but no 13 episodes and this is his first appearance so but yeah shows up uh wearing a tie-dye shirt grabs a lab coat at per carol's instructions and grabs morgan stern's lab coat yes yikes and we will uh, learn a little more about him and his his life philosophies in a little bit so then we have Harper go in to help Doug with the LP on Cheche because um, Doug's like, can I get some help with this? And I think Carol says, okay, your choice is between the tie-dye guy <laughs> or the med student. And he's like, oh, sh- sh- oh no, it's it's the guy wearing Morgenstern's lab coat or the med student. Doug's like, all right, come on, Harper. <laughs> the way Good he the there. way he like looks at the gr- like looks at e-ray and then looks at the ground he's like come on harper like just like he can't even look at him he's just like i gotta let's go get me out of here then we cut over uh with our first audio clip of the episode we have uh susan just sitting in a very sketchy looking park um 
just talking, having a little conversation, uh, just having, not really a conversation, but just having some words with uh, little Susie about potentially be her being adopted. So let's listen. Yeah, they seemed like nice people, didn't they? Yeah, smart, funny, not so perfect, they're obnoxious. And they have a little boy. Yeah, you could have a big brother. Someone to look out for you, teach you stuff. Ah, oh, Susie. So hard. I just don't think I'd be a good enough mother. We have ways of screwing kids up in my family. I just want you to be happy. I love you. You know that? I do. Oh, God. Mm. Poor little Susie. So there's some conflict. So there's some conflicted feelings there. Mm. This whole storyline just makes me sad. Uh, yep. Yeah, Sherry Stringfield just does such a good job bringing the conflict and the soul to this storyline. Like, it could easily just be played for straight up um, pathos. But she does a really good job bringing the depth to it and really making it not just another sugary, like, tragedy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just a sad situation all the way around. I mean, it. what this storyline does, though, like, even though it is very sad, it ends up, I think, being very good. And it ultimately kind of ends up being the most significant contribution for Sh- Lewis on the show, like, because she's going to get kind of chopped off next season and then her second run is kind of so underwhelming like this ends up being kind of her most significant storyline um and it it's unfortunate that we don't really get to see its full potential realized because i think i think ultimately little Susie could have ended up being a really interesting character as we got later on into the show if she'd have stuck around full time um and not had that kind of big gap in the middle um, certainly more interesting than some of the other kid characters we dealt with on the show because she she does have such a tragic background and such a tragic upbringing that I think we could have had some really interesting conflicts that arose from that especially as she started to get older and it's just a bummer that we don't really get to see that short of a few throwaway episodes than that one weird crossover episode in later seasons but it's just unfortunately unrealized potential Oof. And also yeah. one one weird little trivia note from this that I found that I have no way of verifying whether or not it's true other than the fact that they're on the same network and presumably filming in the same studio lots. Um, but supposedly the fountain that Susan is sitting on when she's talking to little, Suze, uh, little Susie there is the same fountain from the Friends opening sequence. Um, so, which is weird because, you know, supposedly ER takes place in Chicago and Friends takes place in New York. Not that geography was ever that important on especially friends like for the opening sequence but yeah i i did read that, that that it's supposedly the exact same fountain that they used for the friends opening weird so then going to another tragic awful storyline um we go back to vicky the domestic abuse patient and she has a bunch of cracked ribs you know just awful all the way around um, we find out she's been here three times before. The first time was her husband, but she wouldn't press charges. The second and third time she insisted she fell down the stairs. And um, Ben's like, well, I'm not going to talk to her. It's it's not my job. I don't need to take this down in her chart. Ugh. 
And um, while this is going on, um, one of the nurses is photographing, (laughs) photographing, (laughs) that's syllable. Um, One of the other nurses is photographing the wounds for her chart and for records. So Benton's just like, it's not my job. Why do I need to ask about this? I cleaned her up. It's fine. And the makeup work on Vicky is astounding. It's haunting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so awful, it's good. Like, it's, it is, she looks like she's had the absolute fuck beaten out of her. And it is just, oh, God. Yeah, haunting is the right word. So then we go from that one uncomfortable situation to another. Uh, Chey lumbar puncture. He's obviously very uncomfortable. He's in a lot of pain. He's fidgeting around. Uh, Doug has enlisted Harper's help to kind of hold him steady uh, for the procedure. And Harper just looks so uncomfortable. She does. She's like, I think might be, I don't know, it's between her and Benton, I think, for my MVP of this episode. Um, because I feel like this is her best work since she's been on the show is in this episode. Um, she just looks really uncomfortable and notes that Che Che stopped moving at a certain point, uh, to which Doug replies, yeah, he's surrendered, which is just like, ugh, stab me in the heart. I also want to note, while this was going on, it almost didn't look like he was fidgeting. It looked like the way Lucy Liu was, like, patting him to comfort him, that it was almost rocking him. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just watching this, and I'm like, no. Like, I know it's supposed to be that he was fidgeting, but to me, it just almost looked like she was moving <laughs> She's him. moving it back and forth, helping like him Like, maybe because the kid was so comfortable, he just wasn't remembering to take his line, so <laughs> Lucy Lou's just jiggling him a little bit. Mm. And after that, we have our uh, next audio for you here. Uh, just general platitudes about Weaver being gone. General discussion. So, there you go. Jerry! If anybody calls for me, I'll be up in the OR with Dr. Hicks. Okay. Is it lighter in here? They repaint? Mm, the weaver has lifted. Uh-huh. Cake? Uh, sure. <laughs> Subtle. What's going on? Uh, birthday party. Oh, yeah, whose birthday? Bob's. Bob's not working today. Well, it's still her birthday. Well, in that case, how about a piece? Uh, sorry, it's all gone. Hey then. Oh, man, was that no fun? What? LT and a little kid. Always rough. Uh, I'm on my way to resect the bowel. Want to get some lunch after that? Sorry, I gotta write her to this kid. How about dinner? Possibly. 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 Carter. Mm-hmm. You and Harper. Something extracurricular happening there? Mm. Bob lives. Kinda. Ish. There's so much happening in that audio clip. Yeah, I'll also note the cake that they refer to is just giant uh, white frosted cake with a re- with Weaver's name in black letters and a giant circle with her name crossed out. Ugh. Yeah, like the no smoking sign. Yeah. But with Weaver instead of a cigarette. <sighs> Guys. It's kind of... Yeah. Like I said, it drifts into like mean territory. Like... I also love the um, something extracurricular, and Carter's like, mm, and walks away. <laughs> a gentleman never kisses and tells. Carter's not doing any kissing. That's kidding. I'm kidding. We totally seen him kiss. I'm sure he makes. They make out before they fuck. They did. I don't think they've. Well, I don't think they've had sex. No, but they imply it. Well, they imply it, but 
It's never explicitly. I don't think they do. Okay. But tell us, listeners, do you think Carter and Harper have had sex by this point in the season? (laughs) Um, But then Loretta is back. Uh, She threw out her back. And then she says, at work. And Mark goes, oh, okay, I'll be with you in a minute. Lydia, can you take her to room three or whatever? And like, I just, I love Loretta so much. I want her to be around forever. She's so great. She and Lydia have some really good moments later on in this episode. And then Carol is asking about... Carol is asking E. Ray Bosman about his background and why he's doing nursing. He's like, oh, I've done a ton of stuff. Um, He was like, before this, I was doing, you know, motivational speaking and life coaching. And this just seemed like the next progression of my life's journey. It's a bunch of, like, holistic and, like, kind of hippie ish stuff that he's been doing like different like healing different forms of healing Mm -hmm. so yeah so he's going to be a very interesting character while he's around um and then harper tells doug that they unfortunately need to do a second spinal tap because the lab ran out of fluid before they could do the meningitis test Ugh. Mm. rough times um no cut over green and uh, dr green is examining loretta uh she hurt her back. Yeah, she hurt her back. Uh, doesn't don't believe it's anything serious. Uh, speaking of herniated discs in the back, nothing. Hers, was, hers is a muscle strain. Not yeah, a... but they were concerned. So just told her she needs bed rest and not just being <laughs> in bed, but yeah, he's like bed rest he's like you need to be on your uh-huh. back. She's like no problem, doc. He's she like, is no, a lot you need of fun. bed rest. Ha ha ha! And she has a job interview today. We find out, and Lydia. Very nice. Very sweetly offers to let her raid the, the dead people clothes closet that they usually use for homeless folks, so she can uh, dress more, dress more presentably for her interview. And they they phrase it much more fun than that. Lydia does, but it's yeah. it's still she's, it's, it's a good she's like, where do you get the clothes from? Dead people mostly, and she's like kind of horrified. And then she's like, right. she's like, wait till you see it. We get a lot of rich dead people. Like it's she's like, all right. Lydia and her are clean. a fun pair. I know. I want them to have a spinoff. Maybe she can make an appearance on Boomers. God. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, so we go and check in with Doug, who's telling Lucy Lou that they uh, need to do a second lumbar puncture on Che Che because of the aforementioned uh, lack of... Uh, they didn't get sufficient spinal fluid to do all the tests they need to do. Um, so they need to do another one. And she's clearly distressed, but allows it because she thinks that that's they're, they're going to be able to help JJ if they get all these tests done um and then we cut quickly over to uh susan talking with mark about options if she keeps little susie so she's clearly conflicted about the whole adoption thing and if she can do a part-time residency and then it's just a really like tense interplay between them here like mark is clearly still trying to get kind of back into her good graces to where they can be like friends like they were before like towards the end of season one it's not that susan doesn't want to be or doesn't isn't interested in it it's just that she does not literally does not have the time for it like her priorities have completely done a 180 and and are all about susie right now so and like how she can balance little susie and her job and so she he's like do you want to go get some coffee and talk about this she's like no dude like i tell me like give me an answer yes or no can i do this and he doesn't have one. He's like, I'll talk to Morgan Stern about it. So it's just a, a tough situation. Like we've said many times, like she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. She's got to choose between little Susie or her career. And it's a tough choice for her. 
Uh, then moving on from there, we go back to uh, E-Ray and Carol. Carol had asked E-Ray to simply trim the hair around a guy's laceration just so they could be more easily stitched up. And uh, she, Carol walks back in and E-Ray has shaved the entire patient's head. And no. asked, uh, and Carol properly asks basically, what the fuck are you doing? And uh, E-Ray responds with some some holistic hippie nonsense about changing the external self to motivate inner change. And yeah, Carol's just saying they're mortified <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's kind of a messy look for the, for the guy who's got his head shaved there. Do we think, do we think there's any seeds of the E-Ray character in uh, Susan's patient from a couple episodes ago? The hippie guy with the bowl. I would say no, because he seemed more like he was kind of, Almost like a corporate dude yeah. who was using this stuff to chill out. Gotcha. E-Ray just seems full-on hippie. Yeah, E-Ray lives the lifestyle. hippie <laughs> E-Ray is a lifestyle. Now on to something much more sad. The social worker comes to talk to Benton about his notes on Vicky's chart, a.k.a. there are none. Like, he hasn't made any real important notes aside from, you know, what was observed in the trauma. And she was like, hey, you didn't know that there's no injuries on her arm or hands. And he's like, well, no, why would I? It didn't seem important. And she's like, because that means she didn't defend herself, which means she's at higher risk of having given up and higher risk of being killed. Can you please note it on the chart? And Benton just like kind of flippantly walks away. Yeah, he just like scribbles a little like note like, yeah, here you go. And yeah, he's just being super rude. So... Fuck you right now, Benton. You kind of fix it a little, not really later, but right now, fuck you. Then we cut back over to uh, Loretta and Lydia. Uh, we have a little little bit of their audio, but Loretta is uh, shopping for some business outfits amongst the clothes. Oh, this would look good on you. Maybe not. Doesn't really quite fit. What do you mean? It looks great. You think so? Oh, yeah. It uh, needs something. You see some stuff working here, I bet. Oh, like you don't? My clients don't die on me. Except for that one guy. That's it? You think so? Mm. giant blood stain so on that first shirt that she shows i mean if it doesn't doesn't come across in the audio but like she's like this would look oh no never mind but they're just so wholesome together i want more of them i feel like lydia has her best attitude in this episode like i feel like other versions of lydia that we've seen would be a little snarkier and a little more judgmental when it came to helping the sex worker get her interview attire together like this this lydia is i think best lydia so far all right, so then we go from there to we're going to do Che Che's second LP, and Harper just looks so scared going back in for this. Um, again, like I said, she's kind of my MVP for this episode for just the, the different range of emotions that she conveys and, and the attitudes. We'll see a little bit more of it as we get later into the episode. She kind of shuts Carter down at one point when he's doing his like surgery fanboy act, and I just I I'm starting to get a greater appreciation for Harper as a character, and I'm I'm happy about that. But we cut away from that uh, to 
check in with Benton again, who's going in to talk to Vicky about the abuse. Um, and she kind of, kind of shuts him down, shuts him out at first. And when she does eventually talk to him, says it won't do any good for him to report it to the police, which we discover later on why that is. But for now, it's just kind of a classic case of like, doesn't want to press charges, doesn't want to talk about it. It's not going to help. So we will, we will see more of this as we go. And after that, we have uh, Doug showing Harper how to do the, I think it's called the India ink test. Uh, I think is what mm-hmm. it's called. How to do, um, how to do that to test for meningitis with uh, your lumbar puncture fluids. And he's giving her, uh, Doug is giving her support about, you know, how she did in the procedure. She handled it really well and she did even better the second time. Um, you know, she says, I thought pediatrics was the happy specialty. And it's like, eh, most of the time. And then the shoe drops that Che does, in fact, have cryptococcal meningitis. So he is, he's, the quote is, he's near the end. Mm. Not doesn't have much time left. And then a woman bursts in, screaming for help, covered in blood. Um, she says her husband was on a motorcycle and it was hit by a truck that ran off near their house. And she drove him as quick as she could. And his arm is in the back seat of the car, <laughs> which Carol discovers it is, in fact, in the back seat of the car. <laughs> we don't see it, but goodness. I know. Disgusting. I thought for sure and they later. were going to show it. That's a later seasons kind of thing where we would see the arm. Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out that Cheche needs to have an intrathecal dose of the meningitis medication, meaning a reverse spinal tap, two times a day for 10 days. So yeah. they'd essentially put a stint in. Instead of doing the tap, they would put a stint going in so the medication could be given pretty much spinally. That way they could give him a high enough concentrated dose. Um, in order to clear up the meningitis. That's a big nope for me. Um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, then we go over to... Carter's been asked to suture a guy's finger instead of working on any of the traumas. This guy is just so dull. And as Carter's suturing up the finger, he goes, Have you always had that mole on your arm? And the guy goes, Yeah, it looks a little bigger than the last time I looked at it, but yeah, I didn't think anything of it. He goes, Can we... You know, I can take a look at that for you if if you want, just to make sure. And he goes, well, yeah, what'll that take? And Carter goes, let me just ask the attending on call if I can, if we can do this. So we'll see what happens with that. Carter's doing biopsies just because he's bored. Carter's just itching for some action. And then we go back to the motorcycle trauma um, and they are, they stabilize him and they're running him up to the OR to reattach the arm. <laughs> um, not the last time. That someone will lose an arm on the show. What? <laughs> Orange just has the saddest look on her face right now. And it's not the most absurd way, even once we find out the real reason. It's even it's still not the most absurd way anyone's ever lost an arm on the show. Truth. We'll have we'll have discussions about that later. Um, but for now, Susan is going to visit her parents with little Susie and let's listen in to their hot mess of a conversation. No wonder there's a trade deficit. Mom, would you do that later? Don't be such a grouch. Turn around. <gasps> Smile for Grandma. Well, I, I, I need Come to on, sit honey. down. Sit. Together. Give me the little termite. Come on. Oh, Come on. Yeah, there you go. Over here. I need to talk to you guys. Look. Mom. Hi. Oh, she's so Mom. cute. A bugger bugger boo. Look at that. A bugger bugger boo. Dad. Oh, honey. I'm listening. Oh, I met with a lawyer today about getting Susie up for adoption. But she's not even your baby. 
Mom, Chloe is never coming back. Would you turn that thing off? I don't know how you could even consider that. You really don't want to give her away, do you? No, of course I don't. It kills me to even think about it. Then don't. How am I supposed to raise her alone and finish my residency? People do these things all the time, <sighs> don't they? Dad, I work 12-hour shifts five days a week, and I'm not going to put her in daycare for that long. Well, there must be something you can do. Well, could you guys keep her three days a week? Maybe we could do it. Three days a week? Oh, sure. We all know what that means. I'll be doing all the work, running Wait a minute. her around. I'm here. You haven't left this house in six years. You hardly ever even leave that damn I'm retired. Chair. You make me sound like some kind of a nut. Well, it's not normal. Well, at least I don't drink all, all day, long. day long. Two vodka gimlets that for breakfast. That is a lie. <sighs> they are utterly fucking useless. Yeah, no wonder Chloe turned out the way she did. Yeah, just, just going to use the blanket term hot mess for that entire situation right there. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch going on here, and we see, like you said, we see sort of the the roots of why Chloe ended up the way she did, and how fortunate we are that Susan ended up the way she did. So, in this scene, two things kind of jump out at me. Number one, the they do this like video camera filter thing when Susan is at the door, so like we see Susan through the perspective of the video camera, complete with like little red blinking recording thing and the like date in the corner, which the date was actually the air date of the episode. I thought that was cute. Um, But they kind of go, like they kind of go to the well with it one too many times. Like it was cute when they answered the door and everything and I would have been fine if they'd have just left it there, but they kept cutting back to it like a couple of times when she's in the room and it was like so distracting and so annoying like I was ready for them to be done with the video camera filter thing um so that was just my yeah. my little gripe about it um but the other thing is that uh we've seen Susan's mom Cookie before um which I believe this is might be her last appearance if it's not her last it's her second to last but we didn't get to see dad Henry uh previously at least not visually we might have heard his voice on the phone or something but we get to see him here and he's played by an actor named paul dooley who is a total oh hey it's that guy he has been in so many different things the man has 211 credits to his name on imdb um including uh breaking away hairspray 16 candles uh and strange brew uh, among many other things um and amazingly is still with us at the ripe old age of 92 which means he would have been in his late 60s uh, in this episode. Like, he would have been, like, 67-ish. So he is looking pretty good for 67 here, and especially now at 92 to still be rocking. That's that's awesome. Oh, Jesus. They're just, they're both a mess, and it just, uh, this scene makes me so mad that they immediately, instead of realizing what stress Susan is under... They shame her. They're just immediately... Yeah, they're immediately like, well, she's not even your baby. And it's like, well, then why am I taking care of her? Right. Like, it, rather yeah, than... Why the fuck am I this, parent, this kid's mother? Yeah, r- rather than, like, trying to help and trying to mitigate the situation, their their initial reaction is to shame Susan for even thinking of adoption. And it's just like, bruh, like, this ain't it, chief. Yeah. From there, we find out Carter's patient was positive for melanoma. And he's about... He's he goes and he tells Harper like, Oh, I get to do the biopsy, like, holy shit and she shuts him right down. She's like, Oh, great. You get to do a bot your your thirty five year old patient tested positive for cancer and you get to do a biopsy. Great. Yeah. That this is kinda what I was referring to earlier, like 
so much greater appreciation for her as a character now. I told you I liked her. I knew I, I knew I remembered I liked her for some reason. Yeah, she's she's growing on me. That's for sure. So then from there, um, in d- kind of during in and around that previous interaction, we hear Hale coming past the um, nurse's station and she informs Benton that the cops are in with Vicky and that he might want to go talk to them. So that leads us into our next scene where Benton enters the room to speak to the officer who's in there. And he's like, whoa, man, he comes in very like casual and like kind of bro and is like, Oof, hope you have better luck with this one than I did. Like, I can't get anything out of her. And he's like, who are you? The cop is like, who are you? You know, oh, I'm, I'm her doctor. I'm the one that, that took the case officer. And it's uh, the same last name as Vicky, M- whatever the last name. Yeah, whatever her last or name whatever. was. So it's her husband. So her husband is a cop. So that's why she didn't want to report it to the police because she knew it wouldn't do any good because either him or his cop friends would squash it. Oh boy. So once Benton kind of puts two and two together and, you know, figures out what the deal is here, um, you know, they get up to leave. And as they're leaving, he just blurts out, like, what goes through your head when you're beating her? Is it what a big man you are? And the dude like wheels around on him and is like gonna kind of step to him. And they they do actually come like almost nose to nose, like they're gonna fight before Vicky separates them. And Benton just has this kind of like seething rage underneath, like where he's not like yelling and screaming. He's still very soft spoken, Benton, and still very like matter of fact. He's, but you can tell that he is just like raging upset on the inside and like. Angry Benton is best Benton, I think. Like, this is this is where he is at his best, is when he is this kind of under control, but seething rage. And we see that play out a few times over the course of the series for different things. Um, I think probably my one of my favorite moments of the series is later on when that sort of underbelly seething rage thing gets directed at Carter, which we will get there eventually. Um it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series and it's it's because he does such a good job with it i also think it's very interesting seeing uh both benton be super angry in this episode and then also seeing doug really angry later in this Mm -hmm. episode it's a nice little contrast there yeah they both they both do some of their best work and in different ways too like it's it's different flavors of angry like Benton's Benton's rage is always kind of that understated, seething, heavy breathing. Like he's never gonna he's never a big yelling and screaming guy. Whereas Doug, his his angry is always much more like volume up to ten, where he's, you know, at his most passionate when he's like running around yelling and, you know, doing stuff like that. So but it's it's both kind of when they're at their best. Fair. Yes, yeah, so there's gonna be consequences for that later. Um but then we go over to Jason, who is the bike accident gentleman, his wife just seems really tweaked out and agitated. Like, something's up with her. Like, Carol's like, you know, can I get you anything? Do you want to sit down somewhere? You know, he's going to be okay. What do you want us to do? And she's like, I keep thinking you're going to tell me he's dead. And, like, you're you're not lying to me, right? He is still okay. And Carol's like, yeah, he's still okay. So, uh, here, I have a question about this. As far as what your thoughts were at this point in the episode, because like, what, where did you think they were going with this at this point? I, I wasn't sure. I was thinking maybe she was the one who hit him. 
Yeah. yeah. Or I was, I, I, something was up. I, I thought. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was say, I thought she was on drugs and she was the one who hit him. Yeah. See, and I thought. I, similarly, I thought she was the one that hit him, but I thought it was an extension of the Benton storyline. I thought, mm. I thought that he was abusive to her and that she mm. hit him or did something to him. And that, because the way she says it to Carol, like the way she's like, I keep thinking you're going to tell me he's dead and like, you're just not telling me like the way she, the way she says it and the way her face looks, she almost looks hopeful. Like she yeah, almost looks like she's like, I really hope the answer is yes. Yeah. There's a moment um, a little bit further down here that we're going to get to where I definitely thought the abuse thing was going to play into it. Yeah. It, it It's a well done little side story. Like it's, it's very fleshed out to not really be a, an a plot. Then ERA comes in with his, uh, his first oopsie, you know, being new and all comes into the room where Carter and uh, his now cancer patient sit are sitting in uh, talking and Carter's getting ready to do stuff. And then ERA comes in and is like, Oh, I told you, I'm told you need help with a lymph node biopsy before Carter has even told the patient about it. So, uh, so Carter quickly tries to cover in, you know, make, make amends to the situation. But the dude is obviously very distraught learning, you know, came in, like he says, he came in with a cut. He's leaving with a cancer diagnosis. Like that's, (laughs) that's, if that's not whiplash, I don't know what is. But so the guy begins to cry and then an ERA totally just cries with him and just hugs him and just, says, you know, just let it out. We'll work through it. <laughs> and Carter's in the background the entire time just doing his beautiful Carter physical acting and just like, what the fuck is going on here? What have I what have I done? What is going on? I swear he almost can I please leave. I swear he almost breaks a couple of times. Like, I swear he gets really close to laughing. Like his, you can just see like the corners of his mouth are like twitching. Yeah. All right. So then from there, um, we go back and check in with Benton, um, another police officer who is, he's in a white shirt rather than a blue kind of shirt. So I'm assuming he's like a supervisor or a chief, um, is in and talking to Benton and he kind of goes over the, the history with Vicky and how she's been in several times and kind of the, the level of violence has escalated and he shows him the pictures that they took of her injuries from earlier earlier that day um and the second cop kind of he recognizes vicky says you know that she used to work uh as a dispatcher um at one of their other precincts and so this seems to strike a chord with him and he you know mentions or he asks if benton would be willing to testify if need be which benton says he would and but benton kind of kind of calls out the elephant in the room and he's like but you know he's a fellow cop he's like isn't that going to isn't that going to play into things like isn't it going to make it more likely that this is all just going to go away and to his credit the other cop says that it doesn't make a difference to him that the abuser is a cop so you know i think i think in a different episode this would have been the end of the story and we might have seen a follow up in a future episode where you know he goes to testify or something but it does kind of we get one bit of further escalation um before we're done here and it is oh boy it is it's a doozy um, I was gonna say just a just a bit. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit, just a little we'll get... bit of an escalation before we we close just out here. A little bit. Um, um, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit though. But for now, Mark has caught wind of what uh, what Doug wants to do with Che Che with the with admitting him for a few days and 
placing the catheter in his back to deliver the drugs intravenous or intraspinally, whatever. I forget what the term was. Intrathecally. Such a weird word. And tries to let Doug know, like, you know, this kid's four. He has end-stage AIDS. You think this might be a little bit too extreme there, buddy boy? Like, just trying to, like, very nicely telling him to back off. And that they've tried this particular medication before and failed. Yeah. But Doug's like, no, it's a higher dose. It's going on. It's going. (laughs) But I've never tried this medication before. I'm a white knight. It's it's concentrated to his spine. He'll be fine. Uh, And Doug basically just says, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. So. Doug less. We will continue this on. Pick back up with this a little bit. (sighs) Then Susan, on her little personal day off that she's having, drives by the Halloran's house to creep on them. Just to show little baby Susie what her life could be. Um, Asks little Susie, you know, what do you think about living there? There's your big brother, you know. Like, and the mom looks perfectly sweet with her son. Like, it's a perfectly picturesque scene. There's nothing wrong with it. So, Susan's just sitting there kind of watching them with baby Susie, which is really fucking creepy. Yeah. And, and like, also, how'd you get their address? And also little Susie's in the front seat, too, which I noticed. Like, they've got the carrier yeah, in the, the front bug. seat in the little shitbox bug. Like, I mean, I know yeah. it's the mid-90s, like, but come on, guys. Cool. Um, good to know. The thing I was going to talk about at the end of the episode is, in fact, right here. I was afraid we had missed it. Randy is at the admin desk talking about her new fashion line. Randy wear and she is so cute with how amped she is about this she's like you can wear it as a swimsuit or you can wrap a shawl around it and wear it for a night on the town and it's like a it's it's like a skimpy little like one piece <laughs> like, black top who is yellow we? silk bottom or who is you like yeah who who yeah. can actually wear that because she's talking to Jerry Lydia and Halle I think yeah so it's like who? not her client yeah, could not be right. less of her target line. market yeah and also, she, she's all, like, there's no better time to invest than now. Also, when she said the name of the clothing line, I was oh. like, I, all that popped into my head was the Archer thing. Are we not doing phrasing anymore? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that was clearly intentional. Like, I think it was. Yeah, I know. But that's exactly what. It's it's amazing. But yeah, it looks like, so, like, like a Silk Spectre costume. The black and yellow. Yeah, but even more revealing somehow. Yeah, but I'm just saying like, yeah, so I'm loving Randy. She's living her best life. And then I notice, and Jerry's like, nope, I'm out, takes his duffel bag and leaves. And he did not have his cigar today when he was leaving work. Good for him. And then after after he leaves, Randy's just like, is he single? And Lydia looks at her like she is crazy and then goes, yes. Like, <laughs> and I was, that's a ship I can get behind. What do you guys think, Randy and Jerry? Uh, eh, I don't see it. I see it. They're both too pure for this world. No, I was say, I was say, uh, Jerry's much more of a cinnamon roll than Randy. Randy means well, but, but Randy's competent. You're saying Jerry's not? Jerry's a dude. I had she stuck around, I would have shipped Jerry and Bob. Jerry and Bob would have made an amazing yeah, couple. Yeah, that I could see. Yeah, that I could see. That could have been a power couple. I could have been down for that. So, my awkward ship aside, we then go on. <sighs> Jason's wife is talking to Carol, and Carol gives her the update that the arm was successfully reattached. And she's like, what? It worked? Like, she seems almost scared that it worked. And this is why I thought maybe there was an abuse factor coming into it. Like, she's nervous that it worked. Yep, that's exactly where I was at, too. Like, so... Oh, no, I didn't get the job done. 
Right. So still something's something's not clicking right. And then she goes, oh my God, do you have a Valium? And Carol's like, I can't just give you a Valium. We can start a chart and maybe get you something. But And she's like, no, no, it's it's fine. I'll have a cigarette. And she, t- she pulls out a cigarette and starts to light it. And Carol's like, well, you can't smoke in here. So she, she pieces out to go smoke. But yeah, that's really where I thought the abuse angle was coming in, was when she was that nervous. Yeah, same. That the arm was fine. <sighs> uh, getting back to uh, little Che Che, uh, Mark goes and talks to Che Che's mom about the treatment. And to she, see, she really understands what exactly Che Che is going to go through. And Mark is very real with her. And it's like, you know, no matter what we do, this kid has days left to live like it's really up to you do you want to spend them do we can make him com- we can try to make him we can make him comfortable and you can send him home you know he can die basically in peace or he can almost certainly die with a thing in his spine and scared and just with and not in a very warm and comfortable setting so it's really just about quality of death at this point and again we have this Lovely recurring theme of Doug setting up people with false expectations. Setting up children and, with false he's, expectations, especially. And, he, well, their parents, too. Yeah. And just being like, oh, I get everything right, obviously. I'm I'm George Clooney. I'm pretty. Everything I do is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly like that, but I just felt like going on that little tangent. No, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very true. I mean, in... And Lucy Liu, I think, is the the star of this little scene here because she manages to convey so much emotion with very few words. I mean, she only has like a couple of spoken lines in this scene. It's mostly Mark talking, and yet she manages to convey quite a bit of emotion with just her her facial expressions and her body language. And it's really easy to see here why she became such a, a successful actress. Like, it's very early in her career here, obviously, but like you can see the signs there that like this this lady can act her ass off. Um, and so she just does a really good job. This has been a really like understated but really solid arc for her over the last three episodes. And I also have to say, it's really fucking weird seeing her as like the sort of like diminutive presence, like the more reserved, shy presence in the room. I'm used to seeing her like in Kill Bill and Charlie's Angels and just being very, very confident and very not quite larger than life, but like, but taking up the room with her confidence on screen and just seeing her like just having seen her like this the last few episodes it's just it's very strange yeah it's definitely a a a big difference from how we've seen her otherwise um but again even with the understatedness of the character she still manages to come across with quite a bit of a presence um which is to her i'm not saying it's it's bad no yeah it's just a different a different personality type than we're used to seeing from her but she does a really good job with it i've enjoyed having her having her here um, and then just a quick hitter before we move on, um, we get a mention that Carol has lost a syringe full of morphine, which is going to pay off a little bit later. But uh, for now, we just kind of get a passing mention that she's lost this syringe of morphine. So keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. Uh, well. And here come the pretzels. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Vicky's husband is back. This time he is the patient. And he, this man, deservedly, has had the ever-loving shit beat out of him. What? Absolutely, no doubt about it, has been, he's been, he's been kicked while he's down. He's been taught a lesson. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, that's putting it gently. Um, he's been taught a lesson by his fellow officers, which, 
again, deservedly so. Do we think fellow officers or do we think that the one cop, like the chief? Cop? I think it was I think it was that one cop beat the shit out of him, but the other cops knew about it based on how they react when yeah, they're all yeah. leaving, which is fine. We don't stand domestic abusers on this podcast. Oh, absolutely not. They all deserve to have the, beat, the shit beat out of them like this. So just so they can see it, just so they can see how it feels. But yeah, the Ben Ness, the because the the cop he talked to previously, the and, chief or whatever, yeah, the chief or whatever, yeah, he is, and another cop are there, and Ben very and asks how it happened, and the 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 cop in the white shirt says very coolly, "Oh, he was pursuing a suspect and took a bad fall," and makes direct eye contact with Benton, like you know what I'm Be saying, cool. like you know what you yeah you know what's up. Hmm. Can't say you didn't. You're know, like we. Uh, I was like you couldn't do this, so we did. Mm. Yeah, and then and then the three cops just walk out of the room, super just ice cold. Yeah, while the dude is having all manner of things done done to him to try to salvage what is the just ugh. what is left of his face. Yeah, and I think that's where the story ends. Yep, yep. Is this? Yeah, this is the end of it. It's a happy ending, <laughs> relatively speaking. Yes. Are we good to? To go on? Yeah. Okay. Um, then we we come in and we see Harper is reading Winnie the Pooh to Che Che. And it is so cute. Like, I was like, okay, there's a little something in this that's great. And when Doug walks in, he's like, oh, Eeyore was always my favorite. And Harper's like, Tigger. And I just have to say Eeyore. Yeah, Eeyore. I connect with Eeyore on a spiritual level. <laughs> Can I, Daniel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yours and you're going to hit go me and yell at me. Piglet? I mean, if I had to pick any of them, maybe pick, yeah, Piglet. Not bad, Born. not yeah. bad. I'm going based off all of our neuroses. <laughs> Tigger was, Tigger was doing it, a bit too much for me, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's a little too much. I, and I've never been as low as Eeyore, so. Yeah. I think Jake would be, uh, would be Tigger. Oh, yes. Jake is. Jake is our yeah. Tigger. Jake from the popular court. <laughs> Daniel's other podcast. Yes. Jake would definitely I th- be I think we. I don't know. If we can't have two Eeyores, I would also take um, Owl. Oh, yeah. Underrated one. You just like Blathers and Animal Crossing. I sure do. <laughs> oh, okay. I just didn't want to talk about this sad stuff. So I'm glad we all we all talked about our <laughs> Winnie the Pooh preferences. Um, we see Lucy Lou come in and she puts her foot down because Doug's like, okay, we're about to start treatment. And she's like, no, I want to take him home. You know, I want him to be with me. I don't want to do the treatment. And Doug walks in behind her as she's saying this and makes eye contact with, um, oh my god, Mark walks in behind her, let me try that again, and Mark walks in behind her as she's saying this and makes eye contact with Doug as if he's daring him to challenge her, and Doug's like, like, fine, I'll, I'll get the meds to make him comfortable at home. Okay, he can go. So, like, it's a good thing Mark was there, because otherwise, Doug would have pushed and it would not have been good. Like it would, it would not have been good for sweet little Cheche. And then um, Carol and Halle found the missing morphine in Jason's wife. She is on the floor of the women's restroom with her belt wrapped around her arm as a tourniquet. So she shot up the morphine, and she's just mumbling to herself. And she's like, "Oh, he said it would be easy, but the axe wasn't sharp enough." And they go and they look, and it turns out both the wife and the husband are in the turkey file drug seeker drawer for like a half a dozen visits each. Hmm. And the reason that they 
pulled this crazy harebrained scheme was because, as she mentions earlier in the episode, their medical coverage was about to end in three days. Yikes. Which I don't understand. Am I missing something here? Ask and I'll try to explain. Like, why? Okay, so dude's medical insurance is running out. Cool. Happens. America's a hellscape. Whatever. What is the point of cutting his arm off then? They needed a big enough trauma that he'd be able to score. And get some drugs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so a little bit flimsy, though, because, killers. I mean, oh, no... Oh, I didn't say it made yeah, sense. no ER is going to turn away a guy whose arm is in the backseat. Like, so, like, insurance or not. So, I mean... But I think to make it an affordable nightmare... I just, I just don't but understand. But if, if they're junkies like, and, they're, and they're drug-seeking, like, they're not giving a shit about the bill. They ain't gonna pay. Like, so it's... Yeah. But but in their moment of panic, they're thinking, shit, we're going to use our, our safety. We're going to lose our safety net. We better just do this right now so we can have some drugs saved up. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a sensible decision of, oh, this will be the cheap and affordable way for me to get my drugs. I think it's more, oh, my God, we're going to lose our stuff. This is going to be our easy access gone. You know, like, I think it's more that panic rationale than an actual sensible one. It's just the leap. I didn't say it made sense. The leap no, to yeah. actually cut someone oh, i with a dull axe i have never it's right there i know lauren is poking me where where the cut is no we don't ever see where the cut is on his arm i don't think but, but like just she's poking me in my shoulder area and i'm just like no oh, no you, thank you. you like having your left arm no i i'm fine just breaking it thank you very much i don't need to cut off okay. fine yeah no so, yeah, yeah. So they're, so they're drug-seeking. We find out this was the whole hatchet plan. <laughs> uh-huh. There was no car. There was no motorcycle. She chopped her husband's arm off. Mm. Carol got played. Yeah, Carol's pissed at herself, too. I know. I like how yeah, that's her take-home. Like, that's her takeaway message from this whole thing is, is that I got played. Not, like, oh, my God, what no, a like, horrific what the situation. Fuck? Like, what a fucking Twilight Zone hellscape this was. Nope. Just, like, God damn it. They got one over on me. Rats. Um, but, but moving on, we have uh, Doug and Mark, and uh, having a little confrontation about Mark and Mark theoretically interfering in Doug's patient, but really just doing what Mark thought best. So let's listen to their nonsense. Mark, you went behind my back. You lost perspective. You had no right to go to my patient and tell her what you thought she should do. I have an obligation to make sure patients have the information they need to make decisions about treatment. That's my job. Well, I'll tell you, why don't you just spare me your attending oath of office? We're talking about a four-year-old here. A four-year-old with end-stage AIDS who you wanted to put through a torturous procedure the last few days of his life. You don't know that? Nobody knows that. Oh, no, of course not. There's always the possibility of a miracle, Doug. I thought we were practicing medicine. You know, I'll tell you something. If it was your kid, if it was your kid, you would bet on a miracle. Oof. Ouch. See, here's Doug. Yeah, here's here's Angry Clooney. Very in your face. Yeah, very in your face. Very confrontational. Very fuck you. But it's good. Just yeah, he makes it work. And this and is this is his Mark's definitely, his definitely brand. right. Yeah, this is this is the brand of of Clooney anger is just I'm gonna be the loudest, not necessarily the most correct or the rightest. Like I'm just gonna the be, rightest. Whatever. We've all had ours today. <laughs> like secretosity. Doug's brand is to just get indignant in these situations. Like it's not about whether or not he's in the right. It's just like, I think I'm in the right. Therefore I'm going to be louder than you. And that's how I'm going. Like, which is also a very real depiction of certain 
people of that certain personality type like it's more important that they be right like they be right in their own minds than actually being right yeah so from that very intense bro moment and conflict we then find out loretta got the job um she was like yeah it was between me and five other girls and hey i had to sleep with the guy to get it but i got it and lydia's like eh Hey, like she just kind of rolls with it and is like, "Good for you." So yay, Loretta. Loretta has a has a receptionist job. Woohoo! Yay. And then whiplash back to uh, Harper crying in the room that Che Che was in, and Doug comes in to uh, offer some words of comfort. You okay? Oh, I'm a mess. Yeah, me too. You were a big help today. Thank you. I was going to thank you. For what? For your front row seat to the, the limitations of modern medicine? For what it's worth, I think you were right to keep trying today. All my medical school professors told me that um, the county was full of burnouts that didn't care. Well, you got the burnout part right. What do you do after a day like today? I tend to drink, but I'm not the best role model. I wouldn't mind a drink. I don't. I don't like where this is going. Uh-oh. I, I just remembered where this is going, and I don't like it either. I only know where it's going because uh, we accidentally read the description for next week's episode, Wah-wah. but I still don't like it. So, hoops. Oopsies. We're not going to spoil it, but I don't like it. And kind of bringing back a little bit of the Clooney continuity from the pilot that he's a drinker, like, yep. to excess. Kind of had it a little rough lately. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, and then after that, we uh, we close out the episode with uh, Susan and Mark. Susan, we find Susan sitting in that same sketchy-ass park uh, with little Susie and just singing her a lovely tune. by your apartment. Am I interrupting? No, pull up a swing. Talk to Morgan Stern. He said he'd present your request to the residency committee. Sounds like he wasn't too thrilled. You ever seen Morgan Stern thrilled? No. He agreed to consider it. That's something. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm keeping her. <laughs> Stop it. I'm so glad. <laughs> you need tips on parenting. You're the last person I call. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, would you hold her? Sure. Come here. Ah, yes. 
What's your hair Tuzzy doing, huh? Look at her. Hello. Look at her girl. Hello. She's silly, isn't she? Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, she's silly, isn't she? Ah. Uh, she's silly, isn't she? Uh, <laughs> Can you believe she's a doctor? No. Gotta love the, the fade out with the cheesy 90s music. That music is so bad. It's <laughs> so cheesy. Uh, Still not the worst. No, music it's not we've the worst we've had, series, but it's but... it's up there. It is definitely not one of my favorites, but yeah, they're back to normal, sort of. Yay! Yay. But they would make the best parents together. Yes. Yeah, which I think is the takeaway uh, here. Like, I think that's supposed to be yeah. what, we're, what we're supposed to to pull from this. Is like, oh, wouldn't this be sweet? Nope. No, don't get used to it. But we're not gonna. Yeah, I say we're not nope as in it wouldn't be sweet, but just nope, we're not gonna get it. <laughs> don't so, get attached because everything sucks. But it is. It's a very. It's a very uh, sweet ending. It's. I'm glad we end on this note. I'm glad they're kind of more or less back to normal. His. So I do have to point out though in that little interaction there, his reaction to her saying I'm going to keep her, is so weird. Like it's so like, I don't know what his genuine reaction is. Like I don't know if it's. I don't know if he is genuinely excited for her or if he tries to just tamp down his like immediate like oh god what is she doing like. Because his face is so, like, he goes from, like, shock to, like, you know how when, like, people get surprised and, like, their eyes get really big and then they're, like, just smile to cover it up? That's kind of what he did. And it was, I don't know, it was just hard to read. I think he's happy for her. I think I think part of it is it's a big life change for her and he's shocked about that. But he also feels bad because he hasn't really been in her life much lately. So this is his Fair. way of kind of, like being a supportive friend when he's shit the bed on that lately. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a solid way to end. You know, this is, this is a solid episode all the way around. I think like it it does a lot of good things. Plot wise, we get a few really bright spot moments from different characters, like glimpses and flashes of brilliance, but nothing that really like stands out as like, man, this was an amazing episode. It was just very solid from, from just about everybody. Like I can't really think of any weak aspects I think no, uh, uh, maybe it. Carol, I, may, like maybe Carol's drug seeking thing was a little like, cause it got a little preachy at times, but that could be the only like nitpick I think I would have everything else. It was like, no, this is a solid, like six, like Lizzie said, I think off mic, like six and a half out of 10 is a, I think a good, good spot for this. Yeah. I'd give it a C plus. Yeah. Daniel just basically said everything that I was going to say anyway. Yeah. So. That's all I've got. Yep. You got. Anything else kids? Nope. Just excited. Nope. We've got, We've got some real heavy hitters coming up here here shortly. I know. I don't think it's next week's, but I think in two weeks, I think we've got a real big heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. The the season is finally getting its feet under. Yeah, itself. we're we're hitting. We're starting to really hit our stride. All right. Well, that's going to about wrap up our episode for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. As always, this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast for only a dollar a month. You can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards once unlocked will include special season recap episodes, a monthly bonus show called the lounge where we'll talk about what's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in the moment. And also monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about We watch along and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. 
Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Courts, which has been on hiatus but will be coming back very soon, uh, where we do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me guest starring on The Popular Courts YouTube Let's Plays and also live tweeting about how sick I am of being inside on my personal Twitter at lobob92345. And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, again, very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. Mm-hmm.